All right, guys, uh, welcome to an episode of Under the Dome. This is the first one I'm doing with my partner in crime, Mr. Sean Williams, who is currently in the Gulf of Mexico enjoying a cruise. And he, um, and he is enjoying his trip on the love boat right now with his lovely wife and his two little kids, so it can't be that much of a romantic trip. But um, the good news is, I cannot believe what I'm looking at right now. I've got, I've got it on YouTube as we go here. And I'm looking at these actors, and I'm just going, oh, my God. It's like the seventh all-star. McLean Stevenson! They got Frank! I mean, uh, uh, Colonel Blake and Robert Vaughn. Okay. Anyway. Tonight, we have a special guest. Tonight, we have my son, who, oh, wait, we have to go through this. In honor of Sean. All right, enough of that. We don't need to listen to that anymore. We heard that enough in the 1970s. Okay. Uh, anyway. Uh, in honor of Sean, we had the Love Boat theme, but, and we will also talk about the Love Boat when it comes to New York Giants. Um, I have with us a special guest. We have my son, who is broadcasting from his apartment in Lafayette. Uh, I took my son to uh, his first game, first Saints game in 2003. We were just talking about that off the air. Uh, I, uh, I wore my Archie Manning jersey. And he had on his little Peyton Manning jersey, very fitting, father-son, going to watch the Saints play the Colts. And this was in 2003, so this is the Jim Haslett, Aaron Brooks era. And the Colts annihilated us, 55-21. to 21. Uh, Peyton threw six touchdown passes. It was an ugly, ugly game. But... It was my front son's first trip inside the Superdome, first time he ever got to watch a Saints game live. He doesn't remember it. Um, he was getting antsy by about the third quarter along with the rest of the fans watching everybody else leave. Um, but it still was a special memory to me because my dad took me to my first game in Old Tulane Stadium back in 1972 or 73, around that time. So you're looking at, what, 30 years time difference between the two and uh, it was really a special moment for me i don't even remember what ha what happened in that game i think we played the miami dolphins all i remember doing it in old tulane stadium our seats were in the end zone up against the wall okay and there's a wooden bleacher you sat on and this is this is the 1970s for you i could stand on the wooden bleacher and put my hands on the concrete barriers the back wall and look over the thing and look straight down at the ground there was no fence nothing up there you know so totally different era totally different era so anyway how you doing tonight matt oh i'm doing fantastic i gotta start school tomorrow got a nine o'clock class so oh so we i guess we can't keep you up too late can't keep you up too late <laughs> um anyway um so we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, the, the playoffs, what we saw this weekend, um, how it should shape up this coming weekend with all four games being rematches of games that happened during the regular season. And 
almost, except for the Seattle-Atlanta game, almost every one of these games were blowouts where the uh, the team that's home this week um, – no, I take that back, the Kansas City game, I forgot. Yeah. Where, um, where you know, one team just totally dominated the other one. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the aftershock from last – what was it last Wednesday, last Thursday, 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 when Sean Payton went total Michael Corleone and took care of family business, all family business in the Godfather, in the baptismal scene, we saw five families, the five families, we saw all the leaders get killed. Well, he fired five coaches on that Thursday. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, some speculation why some of them get fired. Uh, some of them are obvious, if you, especially if you saw the special teams this year. Uh, some of them not so obvious why the assistants even went. Um, he got rid of all of them. And we'll talk about a little bit about who we think may take over those positions. And, and the last thing we'll talk a little bit about is we're going to – because we're going to be doing this show during the offseason – we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the draft tonight, but we're going to do something every week about the draft, especially when we get to the combine in Feb- the Senior Bowl first, combine in February, and then of course all the pro days. We'll go through some mock drafts: who we like, who we don't like, where we think the Saints um, will be targeting in free agency, and how that impacts the draft. Um, we have about 30 million in cap room this year, which is a huge difference from any other year we've uh, since Sean's been here. Um, you know, we have 30 million to spend, so it'll be a little bit different. What's that? We're still in the bottom 10, among other teams. Have 30 yes, million dollars in cap room, but still in the bottom 10. All that means is we can't get into bidding more, and we're going to talk more about this as we get close to free agency. My theory about free agency is probably pretty different from a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people are targeting players like Melvin Ingram, um, Jay, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, they want the big name to come in and really shore up the defense. My attitude when it comes to that is if you look at the kinds of players we've had the most success signing, and we can go all the way back to Joe Horn back in 2000, it's these little-known guys that just sort of just explode onto the Saints as a perfect match. Um, And this year we saw that with Craig Robinson, you know, a guy that we pretty much assume is going to be a backup player, uh, possibly rotating in behind LRB, Laurinaitis, and Anthony. as a linebacker, and he ended up being the best one of the whole group. In fact, Lauren, I just ended up getting cut. Uh, so my feeling has always been, if you're going to attack free agency, find those guys who are on the cusp of really taking the next step forward. They're going to be cheaper. You can bring in more of them. And you end up being pleasantly su- surprised opposed to swinging for the fences and end up more with a Jarris Bird kind of player as opposed to a, uh, you know, uh, Keenan Lewis kind of player um, or Jari Evans kind of player. And I think that's what we really need to focus on in free agency, but we'll talk more about that later on. Um, so let's start 
first by thanking Fan First Productions, uh, as always, our sponsors of the show. Uh, you can check us out on iTunes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can see us on Facebook. Uh, we have a group under the dome, it's called. Um, also, one of our big boosters, uh, Mr. Joel Smith, who has several Facebook groups. Uh, his biggest one with over 70,000 members is New Orleans Saints group. Um, I post on there quite often some historical things, especially on Thursdays, Throwback Thursday. I'll, I'll post some interesting stories, facts, games, that kind of stuff. Um, but we talk a lot about Saint stuff, so you can kind of harass us and pick on us. Uh, Sean also contributes out there. Um, definitely follow us on Twitter. I think it's Under the Dome One. Um, I know I'm on. I'm 79 Saints on Twitter. Uh, Drew uh, Sean is Drew's dad on Twitter. You can ask us all kinds of questions, topics you'd like for us to talk about, stuff that you think that we were totally wrong on, stuff that you love that we said, and you wish we talked more about it. So please follow us on those those uh, various social media platforms. I even post on Instagram. So <laughs> um, let's talk about the AFC playoffs. Uh, two blowouts. We had uh, the Texans beating up on the handicapped kid. Um, uh, the Oakland Raiders, you know, minus they're on their third quarterback. They uh, lost two players during the game. It, it was a challenge for Connor Cook to even get a first down. Um, the Texans won that game pretty handily. Uh, then you had on Sunday the Steelers just totally beat the hell out of the uh, out of the Miami Dolphins. And like I told. My wife at the time, the Dolphins wouldn't have even made the made playoffs had the Denver Broncos not completed, completely melted down uh, at the end of the season. Out of those two games, and what do you think to happen in the rematches between the Texans and the Patriots and the Steelers and the Chiefs? Well, with the Texans and the Chiefs, oh, uh, yeah, Texans and uh, Patriots, it's going to probably be what you expect. You got, I mean, they beat, they got lost 27 to nothing to third string quarterback Jacoby Brissett. Now they're going against paint. Now they're going against Tom Brady. You really think it's going to be that much different? I mean, well, come on. Belichick always takes whatever you do best and takes that away from you and takes whatever you do worst and makes you try and beat him with that. Uh, there are people who think, that the Texans defense is actually going to give Tom Brady some trouble. Uh, he doesn't have Gronkowski. He's got an iffy running game. You never know what Garrett Blunt's going to do. He should be able to run, but I mean, Javon Clowney actually looked like uh, a first, number one overall pick yeah. against the Raiders uh, Saturday. So did the Texans defense kind of keep them around for a little while until Os uh, Osla Osweiler, Osweiler. Osweiler. Yeah. Osweiler uh, can actually find um, uh, Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson. De DeAndre Hopkins. Too many of these names are too similar. Yeah. Uh, can, do, you think, do you think they can actually pull off the upset or at least keep it competitive for a little while? They'll keep it competitive. To pull the upset, Klein's got to uh, do what, what he did against the Raiders. Though I do want to uh, kind of 
lowered a bit. Clowney was going against a backup left tackle. The regular starting left tackle for the uh, Raiders, he, he was not playing. And this was Donald Penn, who was a, a Pro Bowl snub. And it really made a huge difference because he was all over the place. They couldn't develop any screens to the left side. They couldn't do much of anything on the left side. When he went to the right side, there was a big difference because they were going against Marcellus, and the blocking was a lot better. But with um, with Brady and Belichick, you're probably going to see you know quick throws. But I will give the Texans this: they got a damn good secondary. You got Boy, who's who uh, John Gruder kept saying he's taking the Josh Norman route. He's you know as soon as he hits free agency, he's going to get paid. And well, Jonathan and that, Joseph. No, go ahead. Well, Jonathan Joseph, what? Yeah, Jonathan Joseph, for being an 11-year pro, he really hasn't lost that much of a step. He, he hung around with guys like Amari Cooper and Crabtree, and he's, he's, he dominated them. So you think that these guys could beat up on Julian Edelman and, and that crew of under undemand receivers? Because, I mean, Brady's, play, Brady's not playing with uh, – top-notch receivers. He's, he never really has outside of Randy Moss. He's always had the second-tier receivers whom, whom he's been able to utilize because Belichick puts them in perfect position to make plays. Um, he runs the old, old Giants, and you have to think of the old uh, Ron Earhart, not um, not Eric Coriel, Ron Earhart offense, which is very – Ball control with short passes and occasional vertical attacks. Where Gronkowski's really playing the old Mark Bavaro role in the uh, Bill Parcells offense. So, and he also likes to use a variety of running backs, uh, much like they used OJ Anderson and Joe Morris back in the heyday of the Giants, where you've got a lot of inside running, a lot of trap plays, a lot of off tackle runs, where it's just about getting first downs. So do you think that the the um, the uh, Texans defense can control that offense enough so Osweiler can get something going, or do you think that they don't have a running game? They're going to make Osweiler throw, and then it's going to tee off on on that Texans offensive line. That Texans offensive line has not improved that much. Even Khalil Mack and all those defensive linemen still uh, rattled Osweiler. I mean. When uh, Lamar Miller was running, he barely got anything. But when he had a, a different running backs, you know, those fresh legs back running backs, it was a little different. Who but is the Who is the Texans' main running back? It's Lamar Miller. It's Lamar Miller? Okay. Their backup running back is Jonathan Grimes and uh, Alfred Blue. Though yeah. Grimes played a little more than, than – Yeah, Al- Alfred Blue is the old LSU kid. Um, and mm-hmm. – uh, if you remember Miss Wander over there, Destrahan High, he was a Hanville kid. He, that was her nephew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Osweiler, he loves to throw check down passes. You know when Drew Brees has the level progressions, you'll look for the deep guy, then the guy running, you know, towards the first down line, and then you got your little check downs with the running back or whoever's running that short route. Osweiler throws through his check down 90% of the time. You'll throw it to the running back. You'll throw it to the tight end that's run that little two-yard shallow. It, that's mm-hmm. what, you know, there's rarely you'll, th- you'll throw it deep. And he's got receivers that can stretch a field. Will Fuller is a, it's a great receiver. Hopkins, again. And 
unfortunately, fortunately for the Patriots, well, for the Texans, I should say, the Patriots will eat that up. They got they got a great linebacker in Hightower, and they got they got a couple good corners in uh, Logan Ryan and uh, Malcolm Butler. Yeah, I think they're gonna uh, play those receivers man to man and make Osweiler try and throw the ball deep, and they're gonna blitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blitz and go after Osweiler and hope he holds the ball too long because he's like Frankenstein in cleats. He's very slow. Um, yeah. You know, he's a very slow-moving quarterback and takes. He's a slow decision maker. So, um, mm-hmm. okay, so let's look at the second game then. The uh, the Chiefs and the Steelers. I think again, this is probably the most entertaining game uh, of the afternoon. Um, with uh, with Kansas City really looking to get revenge, and they're playing in Arrowhead. And I pointed this out um, the other day to somebody. You know, Kansas City hasn't won a championship since 1970 when uh, they were still in the old AFL. In the, la- the very last game the AFL team played was Super Bowl Four, played in Old Tulane Stadium. Since then, the Chiefs have made it to one AFC championship game back in 1993. And from about the mid-80s on, every time the Chiefs got to the super, to the playoffs, they would always lose either the wild card round or the divisional round. It didn't matter if they were the first seed or the sixth seed as a wild card team. They always managed to lose. So once again – we have the Chiefs playing in divisional round. They're the second overall seed. Um, Andy Reid has a horrible playoff record as well. So what would it take for the Chiefs to win on Sunday and advance to their second AFC championship game since 1993? It's simple. Don't beat yourselves. I, I was uh, looking at – the uh, wild card round between the uh, Colts and the Chiefs back in 2013, and watching that game, they just beat themselves up. I mean, they're going against Andrew Luck, his first time, well, his second time being in the playoffs. He's and the Chiefs were re- really hot. They were, uh, they had a top ten defense, a top ten scoring defense, and how, yet Andrew Luck can just move the ball down the field, and. Like, like I said earlier, it's about just not being yourself, not beating up yourself. That's how they lost. And uh, the special guest that y'all had a few weeks ago, who was a Chiefs writer, even said if they don't, if they don't just beat themselves, they can basically win the championship over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I remember that game because uh, I was pretty disappointed. I wanted the Chiefs to advance, um, and they kept turning the ball over. They threw the ball where they didn't need to throw the ball. Uh, Jamal Charles, I think, had gotten hurt early in that game, and that really yeah. affected what the Chiefs were trying to do. And that seems to be the story behind the Chiefs every time. They'll have, whether it's Jamal Charles, whether it's um, uh, Larry Johnson, Priest mm-hmm. Holmes, you, uh, Christian Okoye, you start going through these great Chiefs running backs, even Marcus Allen towards the end of his career, these great Chiefs running backs that win in the regular season. When it comes to the playoffs, they have not been able to produce. And that's affected Marty Schottenheimer when he was head coach. That affected uh, Dick Vermeil when he was head coach. And it's affecting uh, Andy Reid. And I think the key for the Chiefs this year, because I think the defense is good enough, I think they will force 
the turnovers. I think you'll see uh, Marcus Peters shadow Antonio Brown most of the game and try and get rid of him. Um, you've seen already that uh, uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger is in a walking boot because he got injured at the end of a game that was well in hand. Um, he's supposedly going to be ready for that, but I think the Chiefs are going to blitz the hell out of him to try and see how well he can move in that walking boot. And I think they're going to be able to shut down Le uh, uh, Bell, Le'Veon. Le'Veon Bell enough that they want to put the game in Roethlisberger's hands and make him turn the ball over, uh, make yeah. him throw high. Because when the Steelers have lost this year, it's their, it's always been when they had the inability to run the football and Roethlisberger's had to throw and Roethlisberger was uncomfortable and was throwing high and wide. And, you know, the Chiefs definitely have the edge in special teams. Uh, they've got a great, great kick returner and that rookie. Um, you know, I really think the Chiefs on paper should win this game, but I think that the Chiefs' old ghost of not being good enough and that running game uh, with Jamal Charles and uh, the LSU player Hick on is it Hicks Spencer Ware Spencer Ware. Thank you, Spencer Ware. I just drew a total blank on his name. The LSU player Spencer Ware. They are going to have to carry this Chiefs offense because if you put it on Alex Smith, Alex Smith is not good enough, even though he beat us in 2011. That game still burns me up. Um, he is going to not be good enough to win that game on his own. He needs to have that Chiefs running game, and that's what's always seemed to fail the Chiefs in the playoffs. So I'm looking forward to the game. I'm an old Pittsburgh Steelers fan from the 1970s with Brad Sean, Franco Harris, and Lynn Swan, Jack Lambert, Mean Joe Green, Elsie Greenwood, that whole group. But I am pulling for the Chiefs to be to return to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1970. I would like to see the Chiefs beat the uh, beat the Steelers and then beat the Patriots uh, to advance. Um, but I just don't have the confidence in the Chiefs. I really don't. I hope I'm wrong, though. Yeah. So let's look at the uh, handle Le'Veon Bell. It's all – Le'Veon Bell is the key for that Pittsburgh's offense, whether it ben, Big Ben's in a boot or not. He yes. ran wild against the Dolphins. He even yeah. went wild against the Chiefs, which was mm -hmm. his first game back. Mm -hmm. So if they, they stop him, they, they get, they're they uh, closer to winning, but that's the key. Well, they got – They've got the weapons to do it. I mean, they, they've got uh, a good defense, good front seven. Not only you can rush the pass or play the run, uh, as long as they stay in their lanes and, you know, maintain gap control, they should be able to, they should be able to stop the Steelers. And the Steelers, on anything, they don't fool you. They're coming right at you. You know, it's not like it's a lot of misdirection or reverses or anything like that. They come right at you. So it's going to be a great game. I'm looking forward to watching that game. Um, yeah, hopefully it's a close one. Yeah, punishments to Texans and the, and the Patriots, but the good game should be the Steelers and the uh, Chiefs. Okay, so let's look at the NFC. Uh, once again, two terrible game. Well, no, only one terrible game in the NFC. Uh, the other game was actually very good. Uh, the Packers-Giants game was very good, even yeah. though the Packers took lot. over in the second the half. The first half was great. The sec the second half is when it blown all apart. But still, that's why well, I call the Hail Mary. 
That's his third one. His third one. Uh, and well, I was thinking, the best one was against Arizona, where the rush is coming at him, run to his left, falling away, and somehow he still gets it. Well, I'm always reminded of what um, Tom Jackson used to say on NFL primetime back when they used to have the highlights. Whenever they'd show a Hail Mary play, Chris Berman would say, and Tommy, what are you supposed to do with a Hail Mary? Knock it down. Well, they didn't even attempt to knock it down. They all want to try and intercept it or just watch it. You know, they just watch the ball come down. It's just amazing to watch. So, yeah, yeah let's talk a little bit about the Packers-Giants, and then we'll go to the other game, um, which is so unimportant. But anyway, Packers-Giants. Um, oh. Old Odell Beckham shot his yeah. mouth off, talked all the crap about how they were going to tear up that secondary. Went on, went on a boat trip. Went on the boat. I'm on a boat. Anyway, um, they went on the boat, and Odell Beckham left his hands on the boats. When they said all hands on deck, the receivers for the Giants took that literally and left them on the boat because yep. they did not show up for that game at all. Yep. Beckham uh, punched a hole in the wall in the locker room to prove he actually oh. has hands. Uh, the memes were hilarious. Anything oh, from the yes. Brian Jordan in the wall to Aaron Rodgers' face poking through the hole, you know. They uh, also had a Ben Roethlisberger face pop in. It says women's locker room on the top edge on the left. I'm like, okay. My favorite was the Forrest Gump one um, with uh, – with, um, Yeah, you got no hands, Odell. Yeah, you got no hands, Lieutenant Beckham. Yeah. Um, so, anyway – what was your take of that game, and what do you think the Packers' chances are of upsetting the Cowboys in the uh, in the divisional round? Well, I know there was a lot of people that were hoping for another Giants Super Bowl, and I was like, Eli's not going to win this game for anybody because he was on the he was regressing through the entire season. He wasn't performing the way they did. The defense carried them flat yes. out. They yes. paid for that yeah. defense. The defense did give results. Every time Eli was on the field, what the hell they did? Absolutely nothing. They had, they had no running game, and that was that's really what's been hurting the Giants. Uh, they had no consistent running game at all. And I blame the offensive line more than the running backs because they they don't have bad running backs. They're solid as a collective group, but watching the offensive line, it's like watching us. No push. You know, they, they're met at the line more times than not. I mean, the Packers don't have a bad defensive line, but come on. you got to get a push. you got to have – you got to create some lanes because I'm watching uh, their rookie, Paul Perkins, and he's a mean runner. He, he looked like every time he got the ball, he kept trying to fight for extra yards, but you got to give him a hole for him to exploit. Yeah. I can see that. I, I think all offensive line is better than the Giants' offensive line. But, yeah, um, I, I just feel like uh, Eli does best when he has play action to go to. Um, mm -hmm. They went after the Packers' secondary, and with that offense being out of balance, they had a lot of trouble. And then they really did well in the first half. You think about it. It was 6 yeah. nothing. It was 6 nothing for most of the game, most of the first half. The Packers get a final touchdown. two and a half minutes. Yeah, the Packers get a touchdown. Then the Giants don't do anything. The Packers have just a few seconds left. They throw the Hail Mary. And a lot of people say that was a turning point in the game. I disagree. 
I think the turning point in the game was on the fourth and one, when the Packers failed to get that fourth and one, the Giants had great field position and one play score a touchdown. Okay? So they're up. They're pumped. They're ready to go. We got this game now. We're back in this game. It's 14-13. I have no idea why they didn't go for two. I would have gone for two to tie the game, but that's me. But yeah, I, I was saying it's, it's, it's 14-13. We're back in this game. We're going to do something. And it's like you just knocked over Aaron Rodgers as Bill Bixby in the old Incredible Hulk series. And he turned and looked at the camera, and he had the green eyes because <laughs> he came out flinging that ball. And he came out flinging that ball with such force and such accuracy. And you think about the receivers he had to fool with. You've got a tight end as your running back, okay? And he gets hurt. So you pull in Michaels. He's throwing to a guy named after your sister, Allison. Yeah, Toronto he's throwing Allison. To, yeah, he's throwing to, you know, Devontae Adams. He's throwing to Randall Cobb, who had a monster game, okay? Right. And he is just flinging that ball with this incredible accuracy. And he basically tore the Giants apart. And that's exactly how it looked to me. I mean, it was Bill Bixby turning to the Hulk on the sideline, and the Hulk came out as number 12 for the Packers and just tore that team apart. I don't know if they can do that to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, they probably could. I, I, that, I, 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 tell you, I was going to say – That Dallas defense is not on the same level – as the Giants. The Giants have a, had a better secondary, even though one of their corners did get hurt early in the game. They have a much better defensive line. The one edge I'll give the uh, Cowboys in is linebackers. That's the one edge I'll give them. Well, Sean Lee. Sean Lee is in linebacker. Yeah, Sean Lee alone. Yeah. And if you can control Sean Lee, you should be able to do well. Aaron Rodgers moves well enough. Here's my problem with it when it comes to the Cowboys, because the Cowboys have won on this basic formula over and over and over again all season long. Run the football, yeah. and Dak Prescott dinks and dunks you to death until you finally start moving up to take away those receivers, and then he starts throwing the deep balls. And his favorite receiver is that number 11 guy. Um, Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley, yeah. And um, that's who he goes to on third downs. That's who he goes to anytime he needs a big play. That's who he's looking for. And you have Jason Witten in there who acts as a counterbalance to that. So I don't know if the Packers' defense can control the, the Cowboys' offense and shut down Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott and put them behind schedule where they're playing Second and twelve, sec third and fifteen. Those kind of those kind of downs, down in distance where Prescott's options are limited and he has to throw deeper. Um, conversely, the Packers can't run the football, uh, so it's going to be all on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders. So I just don't see Aaron Rodgers being able to. He's going to throw that ball. He's going to score some points. But I just see the Cowboys playing that conservative ball control, keep Rodgers on the sideline where he can't hurt us kind of game. Yeah. And it's going to be a very slow, boring game when Dallas is on offense. But I just I see the Cowboys winning that game because of that. 
Um, and finally, the last one, the, the, the game, the Saints fans wish a giant meteor or a sinkhole would open up and wipe out the entire facility in both teams, the Seahawks and the Falcons. Um, I got to pull for the Seahawks because I don't want Atlanta to win. Yeah, yeah, nothing one see. of those giant pills. Yeah, well, I'd love to see the Falcons' great season just go in smoke in the first round again. Be the first time. No, they had number one seed back in 2003. Uh, not 2003, 2012. 2012. Yeah, the end of the championship. And yeah. fun fact, they did they play Seattle again. It did play Seattle in the Georgia Dome, but this time yeah, they that was seed and end up playing the Packers in 2010 and got their asses kicked. Yeah, that well, that was a different. That was an up and coming Seattle team. Uh, this is an older Seattle team that is uh, really shaky. Um, their offensive line is questionable. There's no Marshawn Lynch anymore. Uh, although they ran all over Detroit, I don't see them. Although the Falcons' defense is not very good. They got one pass rusher and one cornerback. I mean, well, the middle linebacker and their safety are are good in in, in their own respective ways, but well, you got to look at run the ball. You got to Go look ahead. at what how the Falcons are built. The Falcons are built a lot like the 2009 2011 Saints. They are built on offense, even though it's a defensive coach. They're built to run up the score on you. They jump on you early, get up by two or three touchdowns, and now you become one-dimensional. And now you have to throw the ball to keep up with the Falcons. And that plays right to the strength of their defense because you've got an undersized linebacker in Deion Jones. Uh, you've got a great pass rusher in uh, Beasley. And you've got corners – who will attack the ball, okay? So they know you're going to throw the ball. They want to get you behind and down in distance so they can unleash that pass rush. And then when you throw the ball, they're going to jump the routes because they're going to try and make a play. And they know that even if they don't make the play, even if the other team scores, they know their offense is going to go right back out there and score again. So Seattle is going to have to take away the run and that's difficult to do with the two-headed monster that they've got, and yeah. send guys in after and knock Matt Ryan around. If you can knock him around and get him second-guessing himself or get a couple of turnovers on him early where Atlanta has to play from behind or Atlanta has to match you score for score or they're struggling to get that offensive go that offense going, then you've got a good chance. And uh, believe it or not, I think Seattle has the defense to do that because they are a fast attacking defense. And you've seen the way they've been calling games. It favors the Seattle Seahawks way of pushing the envelope on, uh, on pass interference. You can get away with enough grabbing and pushing and shoving. They'll let them, quote unquote, let them play um, as long as it's not egregious. And I think you're going to see that a lot. You're going to see them undercut routes. You're going to see them uh, kind of, you know, roll the coverage over um, Julio Jones and make those other receivers do things against them. And I think you're going to see those linebackers matching the, the Falcons' uh, offensive. Uh, running backs, uh, speed for speed. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I, 
I think Atlanta's going to win, but my heart wants uh, Seattle to win. Yeah, the one problem with Seattle is that this is a game where you're really going to want Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas being hurt is probably going to affect some ways because he's a, he's a flyer. He'll be on one side of the field, and once that ball's in the air, he'll fly to, the, he'll fly to wherever it is. We've got Kim Chancellor, and Kim Chancellor is, uh, is a receiver like that. top whoever runs that ball. I don't care if he gets thrown out of the game. If he can knock well, one of those running backs out, whether it's Freeman or Coleman, I will stand up and clap as loud as I can going, <laughs> thank you, Cam. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he's going to fans everywhere happy. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that, but I think you're going to see a lot of linebacker blitzing uh, going after, you know, taking advantage of those weak tackles the Falcons have. Uh, Alex Alex Mack really solidified the middle of that line. He covers up he a lot of weaknesses. For one. Yeah, it covers up a lot of their weaknesses. Uh, but, as you, you know, I just think about the last quarter and a half against the Saints – uh, where we seem to be able to start moving the ball well against that defense. Um, uh, you know, I, that's – and it wasn't just that game. There were other games I saw in similar situations where Atlanta's defense just did not hold up their end if they if they had to deal with a running back, if they had to deal with a running game. And um, you can only do that by – just like we said with the Cowboys, the Seahawks going to have to control the clock – Get first downs, not get greedy and try and get the big play, but keep Atlanta's offense on the sideline and wear that undersized, quick defense out. And when Atlanta gets the ball, let their undersized, quick defense just pop the hell out of people. Um, so who do you think then um, will be the Super Bowl favorites? Who, who do you see playing uh, in the Super Bowl Three weeks from four weeks from now. Well, my want is probably going to be similar to yours, Chiefs and Packers. I want the Chiefs and Packers just so a Super Bowl one rematch. But that's just my want. What I think might actually happen, it's probably going to be Dallas because they they're they're in sync right now. Though I want to see if you know the lack of playoff experience will start showing. You know, you'll start seeing some nerves showing. You'll see some uh play. Some blunders, but it's probably going to be Dallas in the Super Bowl. And going against them, I think it's going to be Steelers. I think the Steelers are hot, are, are coming in hot. They're they're healthy, uh, without yeah. even with Big Ben with the boot on. They got a mm-hmm. Le'Veon Bell is playing well, and they got a good backup, the D'Angelo Williams. He's healthy. That defense, even though they had a couple penalties and such, it's starting to. Get a little better. It's getting a little better. Yeah, so, that would be uh, Steelers and Cowboys. Steelers, Cowboys. Where have I heard that Super Bowl before? Super Bowl ten, Super Bowl thirteen, Super Bowl thirty. Um, yeah, so this will be the fourth time around for the Steelers and the Cowboys to match up, and I wouldn't mind that Super Bowl actually. Uh, I don't want if Dallas. It's a rematch or, Super Bowl. I'll take it. Yeah, I don't want uh, Dallas in, in Atlanta in the NFC Championship game, but I probably could stomach. A little bit, the Cowboys against the Steelers, as opposed to the Cowboys and the Patriots, who I think is the likely matchup. Cowboys Patriots, um, and that would be Tom Brady getting yet another Super Bowl ring if that's the matchup. Because Belichick will. I want to root for a team in that Super Bowl. 
I know Belichick will figure out how to stop them. But um, yeah, I, my heart wants Packers, uh, Packers, Chiefs, but I don't think that's going to happen uh, I, I, because again, I don't think that even if the Packers are fully healthy, which they're not, they're probably not going to have Jordy Nelson. Uh, they don't have a running game. Uh, I just can't see the Packers as good as Aaron Rodgers is. I just can't see the Packers pulling it out all the way through. Uh, I think, you know, it is a good possibility. The, uh, the championship game will be um, Falcons against the Cowboys in the NFC and the Steelers and the Patriots in the AFC. Um, and, you know, Steelers, this is their year. Maybe they can finally overcome the Patriots and go to the Super Bowl and get that, you know, that what, eighth ring against the Cowboys, yeah. and that would just be yeah, eight, right. Either six or – no, yeah, I think they've got six, and we'll go to seven. They got six. They've got six. They got the one for the thumb in, in Super Bowl 50. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. It was about 43, not 50. It was 43, not 50. Super Bowl 40. Super Bowl 40. Yeah, 40. Because they had to beat – They got the six in uh, 43. That's right. That's right. They beat Seattle. Then they beat um, – Arizona. Oh, Arizona, yeah. Okay. All right. So that was the sixth one. That's right. Mm-hmm. I just kept thinking about the Seattle one um, with Seattle. Yeah, that was the Patriots. Yeah, okay. Tom Brady wants that fifth one. He wants one for his thumb. Well, I just want I, – I, you know, I like to do with Tom Brady's thumb. Um, anyway, okay. So we've talked enough about the other uh, other teams. We, this is a Saints podcast. Let's talk about the Saints. Um you know, as I said, we had the baptismal scene last Thursday uh, where all the fans' favorite scapegoats got fired. Greg McMahon, Bill Johnson, although technically Bill Johnson, from what I understand, did not get fired, but they decided not to renew it. Yeah. Not to renew his contract. Um, and Joe Vick got fired, and that's the one that everyone's thrilled about the most because some, for some reason they yeah, think – Yeah, they're throwing a party. Yeah, they, for some reason they think uh, all linebackers started sucking in 2006 and they completely forgot about the Hazlitt years when Joe Vip was not on this coaching staff. And we had even worse linebackers when Joe Jim Hazlitt was around. I read to you one of the names. Of Cedric Hodge right now. Oh, Cedric Hodge, C. Grant, Colby Buckhall. Um, what was that? Not Stanley Arno. Stanley Arno was one of them. Daryl um, Smith. It, it, Orlando Ruff. Daryl Smith and Orlando Ruff. There's one, Orlando Ruff. You even dug, uh, yeah, Daryl Smith's at the end of his career. We had the kid from the uh, from the Dolphins. We had a linebacker from the Dolphins that we brought in at the end of his career. Um, it was just a horrible, horrible. We had a Notre Dame kid uh, trying to play middle linebacker. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible linebacking court. Keith Mitchell went to the Pro Bowls, an undrafted free agent out of Texas A&M back in 2000. Of course, we had to get rid of him. We couldn't have him around. Uh, Mark Fields. Yeah, Mark Fields, who Stephon Anthony can really be equated to. Mark Fields was a uh, first-round draft choice in 95. Could run like a deer. Incredible, incredible athlete. Strong, fast. He could not read a defense to save his life. He looked lost all the time. He was a liability in coverage. 
Um, they played him at middle linebacker. They played him at outside linebacker. They tried everything to try and help him go along, get along. He ended up finishing his career with the Panthers, but although he became a better player uh, at the end of his career, unfortunately he had uh, a disease, and I just forgot. Was it cancer? It was. No, it wasn't was it cancer? cancer. That was uh, Sam Mills. One Sam yeah. Mills, so it was a blood disorder. Yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking about because uh, when I was yeah. in 2K, you, you would talk about uh, Mark Fields and disease you had. Was it a heart problem? Mark. No, it was a blood disorder. I'm almost positive. Oh. Let me look it up real quick because uh, oh, I might say blood clot. Let's see. Mark Fields. Uh, anyway, the, the keep pounding that the uh, Panthers use. The keep pounding came from uh, Mark Fields and Sam Mills both becoming ill. He had Hodgkin's disease. He had Hodgkin's disease. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, and um, uh, that was right before the start of the 2003 season, and he had to sit the season out. Uh, he and Sam Mills, when Sam was diagnosed with cancer, um, he became source of inspiration for the team, and they made it to the Super Bowl. Uh, in 2004, but that's where that keep pounding came from. Fields came back in 2004 and uh, made the Pro Bowl in 2005, but that was that was uh, when Hodgkins' disease came back with a vengeance, and he retired from football after that. Um, in fact, his son, I think his son is playing for Clemson, if I remember right. No. Yeah, his, his son is a cornerback, going to be a cornerback in Clemson. I saw that during the uh, – before the game started uh, last night. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but Mark Fields, you know, again, it took him a long time to kind of get it, understand football. And, unfortunately, it was near the end of his career with the Panthers that he really became a good, good linebacker like everybody thought he would be. Nice guy, wonderful guy. So we had to fire these guys. Um, you know, Greg McMahon, the bad special teams, it's amazing how much better. And I think even Sean Payton had to see it. Um, once uh, O'Day was brought in, suddenly now the blocking got a lot better on special teams. We weren't getting kicks blocked anymore. Um, you know, uh, Lutz suddenly became a much more – he was already a good kicker as far as leg strength consistency with his uh with his accuracy uh but he got the lift that he needed to get it so many kicks blocked and nearly blocked uh and i think the writing was on the wall for for uh mcmahon after that because it was clear that this was superior coaching going on here yeah compared to what with he all had those with people say with all those people in nos saying fire mcmahon fire vid fire johnson i'm like you'll probably get the mcmahon wish because, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It, and it was all, and all the blocks came from the same side, the right side of that field. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, they saw, they saw something right there, and they went after that over and over again. We saw that, yeah, and I think uh, in the anemic special teams, I mean, anemic return game. You had one of the worst return games. Now, granted, you didn't have very good returners. You had uh, a great speed guy in Tommy Lee Lewis, but he did not take care of the football, and then. Marcus Murphy, we kept Murphy, him on the roster Murphy for some reason. Pet. Yeah, well, he kept him on the roster for some reason, but apparently he really stunk it up every practice because he was not active from about the 
first quarter of the season, he was on the inactive list every week. They were not going to play him. Um, I mean, if you got Jarvis Bird out there returning fair catch in every punt, that and says a lot so about got a cadet on the team. You know, yeah. something is got something's well, got to change. You've got you've got to address that position, and I think uh, I think you finally realized you know you poor drafting and poor free agent signing mean just the bottom half of your roster stinks, and the bottom half of your roster is your special teams and your return guy, you know, and you just don't have a good reliable returner. You don't have a, a Roby Courtney Roby. You don't have a Darren Sproles. You don't have a Reggie Bush back there anymore, or even a Pierre Thomas to return yeah. kick. You really have nothing. And you need a good, solid returner. You need that third part of the game addressed. And I think you're going to see a lot of that because they fired the assistant uh, as well for special yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah. was Stafford so, new special teams area area. Probably promote O'Day and just fix special teams altogether. Get a returner, fix the blocking on both on uh, kick and field goals, and as well as. Uh, when returning, because well, they want to get good field. Well, this position. is this is, yeah, and this is what I was talking about earlier when we talk about free agency. This is why you don't blow all your money on a uh, Jason Pierre-Paul or or you know Melvin Ingram or whoever these players are. Even that cornerback from um, from the Houston Texans is going to get Josh Norman kind. Yeah, you know, get AJ. I mean, get a Josh Norman kind of money. You need to have a lot of bodies so you need to sign a lot of guys to kind of fill out and fix your special teams you need to get a returner in the draft but you also need to get better blockers better depth on your offensive line so you're not relying on clemente and Molito as your primary backups um you want to bring in some veteran guys a good special teams captain uh unfortunately michael marty um he got sick um, yeah. and he may, may or may not be able to play football anymore. So you really need a good special teams captain out there. You need to beef up that special teams. And that leads us to the next one, Joe Vitt. Um, Joe Vitt, unfortunately, you know, the man coached for over 30 years in the NFL. He's not an idiot. He can develop players despite what people say that he can't. He has yeah, he to be able full to responsibilities something. on that team. Payton trusted him a lot, and well, he was. It wasn't he was so much. It wasn't so much for a lot of failures, just that there wasn't enough, you know, successes to keep him on. Payton was just like, "You gotta give me more than just that. I, I want to. I well, mean, you gotta give just, me more reason." We we're just talking about the Steelers. The Steelers spent three first-round draft picks in consecutive years, from 2012 to 2004 to 15, um, on first-round picks of linebackers. We draft linebackers like a blue moon. We get a first-round pick for Mark Fields in 1995. We go 20 years before we take another linebacker in the first round with uh, Stephon Anthony. Who makes up our linebacking core? Either low-round draft picks or project athletes or guys with bad knees or things like that. We don't invest in good players you think right back all the way back to 1986 we brought pat swirling in okay that was the last high draft pick impact pro bowl all pro linebacker that we had 
We got Mark Fields, 95. We had Winfred Tubbs, who had a really good season for us. And, of course, we had to let him go, too. That was a Mike Dicker decision. But uh, outside of those two guys, from a drafting standpoint, we did not recruit, we did not get any good linebackers in 30 years, okay? We drafted guys like um, Reggie Freeman, Colby Buckwalt, Nate Stanley Arno, Nate Bussey, um, who's the kid that uh, – Martez Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, I mean, you're drafting crap for lack of a better term. Yeah. You're not investing – you're investing in athletes. You know, carry for it. Ronald, Ronald Powell, guys that blew out knees. You know, you're investing in guys that you think might be good players – not guys that were highly productive in college, like the linebackers we just saw last night for, for Alabama. Yeah, like Ruben uh, Foster. You're not, yeah, you're not you're not investing in those highly productive linebackers that come from programs that have great defenses. You're going after guys who were projected, highly recruited athletes out of high school and projected to be stars and you think you can do something with them as an as kind of a uh, an unearthed gem and turn that into a great linebacker position so yeah vit may not have been the best coach in the world to coach linebackers but it's a two-way it's a two, it's a two thing it's you've got questionable linebacking coaching and you've got questionable selection of linebackers Okay, you've got very poor linebackers that you brought in for an, a mediocre coach to coach. So it's a recipe for disaster. Okay, yeah. that's why it's not just Vit. That's my attitude when it comes to that. Yeah. Who are they going to get? Guys like Hawthorne and Lofton. I mean, the, those were the best linebackers on that team. And if, and of course, you look at their production, you go, how are they the best no, linebackers? I mean, Roman Roman Humbler, another one. You know, it's you're bringing in guys that you're hoping you can do something with later on. You're not bringing in athletes, impact linebackers who produce the highest level. You're not bringing them in consistently to build your core. The, the Steelers make mistakes on linebackers. I mean, we've seen it. You know, it, it's not like just because you draft a guy in the first round, that's a great – you're not going to get a bust. You have a chance of getting a bust in the first round, just like you have a chance of getting a bust in the seventh round. But you're not giving yourself a great opportunity to get the best players on the field if you're treating the linebacking position like it's special teams. You want mm -hmm. impact players. When you look at the Saints, what they've drafted impact players, they drafted on the offensive line, they draft impact players on the defensive line when it comes to Cameron Jordan and so forth. You know, mm -hmm. you go after, you know, wide receivers, tight ends, running backs. We're going after, we use high draft picks on those guys. You're not doing that with the linebackers, and it shows. And finally, as we're running, we're running late. Uh, finally, the 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 uh, the last one was Bill Johnson. I think yep. Bill Johnson uh, did an okay job. Um, again, a lot like the defense, like the linebackers. You're not really getting a lot of. Um, you're not investing a lot of talent or draft picks on those. Yeah. You're blowing a lot of draft picks. 
but I mean, you need better. You, it was time for a different voice to, um, we've gone from a 4-3 to a 3-4 to back to a 4-3 with three different coordinators. I think Bill Johnson was more of a Greg Williams kind of guy. Uh, not that Greg Williams hired him, but I think he was the kind of guy that uh, Greg Williams liked. And yeah, I, I think – I watched him on the sidelines whenever the cameras point to him. He was fiery. He was passionate. I, I was seeing him try and motivate these guys. When he, There was a uh, – during week 17, there was a close-up between him and uh, Fairley. I'm like, he is, he's trying to tell him, hey, go out there and play, play your ass off. And it showed. Yeah, I mean, he barely had a career year. Yeah, but again, you know, we have a good chance of having four first-round picks on the offense, on the defensive line this year, depending on how they go with the draft. I think Peyton just felt like I need somebody with a new voice to get these guys to take the next step. We weren't consistent enough. We didn't get enough of a push on a consistent basis. Um, even if you could have got something out of any of those other defensive ends, uh, whether it be Adabali or um, uh, Kruger, you could have just got a little something out of them. And I think that's, you know, Peyton's just attitude was, look, I'm cleaning house. I'm a whole defensive staff. We saw the dramatic improvement in special teams with a different voice in the game. We saw an incredible improvement in the secondary with all the injuries they had. Aaron Glenn did a, a yeoman's job getting Sterling Moore and B.W. Webb to play at a good level, although we were terrible in third and long, considering you're playing your, what, seventh and eighth cornerbacks as your starters, um, you know, you, you he, he sees that maybe if I switch, we've switched players, we've switched defensive coordinators, maybe it's time we switch assistant coaches and see if we can get something more production out of these guys because they're good guys. They should be able to produce more than they have been. Yeah. The fan, the fans weren't going to sit through another 79 season. They, they were not. And they also were not going to sit through an off season where the only thing that's going to be new and different um, is going to be team. some of the, the yeah. while some of the players uh, that you get in free agency in the draft. They wanted to see a shakeup in the coaching staff, and so Peyton gave it to them. Mm -hmm. Who the favorites are to replace him, I really don't know right now. Um, there are some I, I think players we have to who want Brian Young to be promoted. Brian Young, who's the pass rushing specialist right now, they want him promoted. They say if he gets promoted, then the loss of Bill Johnson will be an easy pill swap. I don't know which Saints defensive lineman said it, but I know I saw a tweet on that from uh, the guy who first – I think Cam Jordan said that. Cam Jordan was yeah. one of the ones that said that. Um, yeah, Cam Jordan was probably the most vocal about uh, Bill being fired. I, I actually got to talk to him on Twitter, and he uh, he loved him. He uh, said if he got if he wanted to get another job somewhere, he would get it ASAP. And I believe him. I really do. I think, uh, except for Greg McMahon, I think uh, all three of them. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I think uh, Bill Johnson and Joe Vitt both can get another job tomorrow if they want it. We'll see at the Senior Bowl. Mm -hmm. I think that's when you're going to see. That's normally when the guys are out there, you know, looking for jobs. Um, they start filling out their staffs. Uh, I know a lot of fans want, um, you know, some great line, former linebackers as linebacker coaches like Michael Singletary. I've seen his name pop up a few times. 
Um, Ken Norton is another name I've heard before. Uh, some people, you know, some would love to get Vic Fangio from the uh, and go back to the old Dome Patrol years. Oh, and I, would get love, him. I would love it. I would love it if but Fangio Vic, comes back. But he Fan, loves, Fan, Bears are not going to get him. Well, Fangio is also a 34 guy. He's not a 43 guy. And um, I think that with, you know, you're running a 43 defense with um, Dennis, with, Allen. Uh, Dennis yeah. Allen. So, okay. Um, but we'll find out. I don't – I'll be surprised if it's a name coach. I think it's going to yeah. be some, some assistance. for Mike Singletary to come over, take over the linebackers. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he likes I, where he's at right now. I think you're going to see – it's going to be – it's going to be assistant coaches you're not that familiar with. Um, some yeah, that might you'll have to Google them. You'll have to Google yeah. them. I promise you that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, draft preview. We'll, we'll kind of we'll do this real quick because we're at 902 already. Um, draft preview. Um, the top three positions in need, who do you who do you think – well, I'll tell you mine first and you can tell me yours. Um my my watching that game last night uh, between Clemson and Alabama. Obviously, we need that defensive end. We need some somebody who can push that pocket from the other side, so the attention stops being so much on Cam Jordan and let that rookie and uh, Cam Jordan play the game of meet you at the quarterback. Um, linebackers, we need linebackers. Um, even if Anthony turns it around. I would love to see a Reuben Foster kind of linebacker come in. Uh, someone that the defense sits there and says, and the offensive coordinator says, we got to figure out how we're going to handle this guy. Not how we can stop this guy, how we can handle him and minimize his damage. Um, you know, you can see a little bit of Ellaby, you know, what it would be like if we had three healthy Ellabys on that field. It would be incredible, you know, just the speed. Uh, and and Robinson is good for what you ask him to do, but he is not an elite athlete. He is somebody who can come in and play and rotate on down. He's a solid starter. Yeah. Yes, he is, but he is not someone – he's not a difference maker. And, Anthony, we don't know what we're going to get out of him. And to me, if you can beef up that front seven, resign fairly, uh, get it a pass rushing defensive end and beef up that linebacking core with some impact players. Um, then your secondary looks a hell of a lot better um, because you look at the, uh, the the Dome Patrol years, your defensive backs were Toy Cook, Reginald Jones, um, Milton Mack. Um, come on, I can think of some of the other ones. Vincey Glenn. Uh, Brett Maxey and Gene Atkins was the enforcer. Um, it wasn't an all-star defensive back backfield, but because they had such a great pass rush, because they played the run so well with that front seven, it made that secondary better. So my belief has always been if you can get that front seven at playing at a Pro Bowl level or an all-pro level, you know, your secondary will be fine. You can cover up a lot of stuff. And what we have to get to begin with, before we even talk about Pro Bowl or All-Star, we have to get to just that good, consistent 
secondary that can, I mean, uh, a front seven that can help that secondary and stop those third and longs where the quarterback can get rid of that ball in a hurry and get something going because the linebackers don't have to blitz. The linebackers can sit in the zone and shut that stuff down early. Um, so if that's what I, what we need, who would you say then would be your top five draft prospects to fill those needs? Well, for left for defensive end, you're looking for a guy that's got a lineup against the left tackle or your right defensive end. And that's kind of hard to get because the guys who could line up against him are probably the smallest guys you'll find. And the guys that are big and strong, they'll line up against the right tackle and haven't played on the, against the uh, right tackle their entire football career. But this year, there's actually a lot of players that, that uh, can go against a left tackle. My number one guy is uh, Jonathan Allen from Bama. He's projected actually going to top 10. He can go as high as number three to Chicago if they want to venture that avenue. Uh, next is Miles Garrett from A&M. Who, again, who doesn't know this guy? I mean, if, even if you don't watch college football, you know who Miles Garrett is because no one shuts up about him. But he's being projected to go number one overall to the Cleveland Browns. And unfortunately, there will be a service held 10 minutes after his name has been selected if he goes to the Cleveland Browns. But venture not, because this pass rushing class, it's great. Uh, third, I actually have Derek Barnett from Tennessee. When looking for guys not named Miles Garrett to be drafted by the Saints, I came across Allen and Barnett. According to Pro Football Focus, I don't know how any of y'all feel about that, but they said – I hate no him. Difference. I hate him. But you'll like what they have to say about him. Go they ahead. say there is no difference between Garrett and Barnett when it comes to their pass rushing. They're not going to rack up a ton of sacks, but they'll get a lot of pressures, a lot of hits. They'll hurry hurry them up. And watching him against Bama, he looked he look great. Uh yeah, my fourth one is Solomon Tower from Stanford, a good run stuffer with pass rushing ability. And number five, you're going to love this name, Taco Charlton from Michigan. Big, strong uh, defensive lineman who can play both inside and outside. But, but that's, that's my top five right there. Okay. Um, Real quick, just name a couple linebackers that could possibly slip out of the top ten because I think Clemson's performance last night uh, kind of vaulted some of those players like Mike Williams into that top ten. Mm-hmm. And that's actually good news for the Saints because yeah. if you can start pushing some of those defensive linemen and linebackers down by having, say, I don't know, the Jets take Deshaun, uh, Deshaun Winston – Watson, thank you, Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, in the top 10, uh, that just makes it easier for a uh, defensive lineman or a linebacker to drop down. So pick a linebacker or a couple linebackers you think we should keep an eye on. One of them is definitely Reuben Foster. He could slip out of the top 10, depending if any team trades between now and uh, draft day. Another one – a lot of them are going to follow the top ten, being that late first, sec- second round. One guy I want to keep an eye on is Jared Davis from uh, Florida. A uh, real sleeper and a solid second-round option. So if you want to go pass rusher first round, he'd be a great second-round option at linebacker. Okay. Yeah, good deal. Good deal. All right. Uh, I'm sure there will be a couple of people who are going to be yelling at the screen right now, guys that they like better 
uh, than what we've yeah. listed. But, you know, we're going to talk, we're going to go through a lot of draft scenarios. We're going to talk about guys going to rise and fall, uh, you know, as after the senior bowl, uh, because a guy like David Onyemata, who we took in the fourth round this past year, he dominated the senior senior bowl practices, and his stock shot way up. Um, Actually, uh, Onyemata you know, you always did well have, in the uh, East-West Shrine game. It was Rankins who did oh, well in the senior bowl. Okay, Rankins. You're right. You're right. My mistake. Rankins did real well at the mm-hmm. senior bowl. Yeah, Onyemata did real, real well at the East-West Shrine game. Okay. Uh, again, you know, guys' performances um, against other top-level competitors – um, especially guys that you don't think much of, you know, when they get have an opportunity to participate against these people, um, they kind of get noticed. You have nothing but scouts out there watching this. They mark it down as somebody that, um, you know, the Saints will probably look at. So, you know, there's a lot that can change between now and then. We have the combine in February. Then we have uh, pro days that start right after that. And, you know, I don't get too excited watching guys run around in shorts and shells or shorts and t-shirts, uh, 40 drills and things like that. I only look at receivers. I look at how high they can jump, same with cornerbacks and quarterbacks, how well they throw on the move and how well they understand defenses. Um, so, you know, we'll talk a lot more about the draft. We'll probably have you back, talk some more about the draft. We'll also have uh, a couple other guests we've had in the past, come in and we'd like to get their input on the draft and we're going to specifically go through a a seventh round mock draft later on this year uh this spring we'll do a seven round mock draft um probably at the end of each show and see how much has changed since then uh because free agency of course is going to shape a lot of this uh so there's a lot to look forward to um I want to thank you guys for watching us tonight. We, of course, we went over time again by about 10 minutes, uh, but that's what happens when you try and talk this much football at one time. We miss Sean. Hopefully he, he comes back, uh, doesn't stay in Mexico, <laughs> and doesn't stay on the cruise boat with all the free food and free booze. Um, and uh, we'll see you Hopefully next Hopefully he doesn't week. get a Tom Hanks adventure. No, no, nothing like that. No, no Captain Phillips. Um uh, or Castaway. Um, but um, anyway, thank you guys for watching. We're going to talk next week about uh, the the playoff games, regional round games. We'll go preview the, uh, the championship games. And um, we'll talk some more Saints stuff because I'm sure there'll be more Saints news uh, next week. So in the meantime, thank you guys for watching. Be sure and follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, and we'll see you under the dome. Good night, everybody. Catch y'all later.